Welcome to Living Untitled, a new podcast featuring conversations about the limitless optimism and possibilities in our untitled world. I'm your host, Justin Boone. In today's episode, I speak with Naomi Claire Krellen, an experienced creative director, strategic design thinker, and community builder who brings deep knowledge and soul to thinking about what makes a community truly meaningful. She's the founder and CEO of StoryCraft Lab, where artists and scientists come together to foster engagement by connecting human experience with the messages and experiences businesses are working to share. She has proven that just talking about community creates more community and belonging. It deepens empathy and compassion, and it creates its own momentum, amplifying the voices of community builders just like her. Essentially, what belonging does when we attach it to the discussion on diversity, equity, and inclusion is consider that inclusion is something that is experienced by other people, that we can understand the effectiveness and impact of by talking about their emotions. We think that we're being inclusive here by following these following criteria. Is it really creating equity? Is it really... Do you feel it? You know, do you do you feel that work being done? And the answer to that is going to come through that discussion around belonging. So it's, I think it's one that's actually going to stay with us for some time. But the kind of the more we can point to business value of belonging, yes, and then the altruistic component of belonging together, there it really becomes imperative that we think about the, that space. In the last few challenging years, Naomi had been seeking community, searching for people who shared her values, whom she could authentically connect with. And this led her to create StoryCraft Lab, a space where people can find the community she and others are searching for. Naomi is like a spark that ignites community-mindedness. Her vision about what we can do to create the sense of contentment that belonging provides us is infectious. She tends this vision like a gardener, preparing the ground for the growth that comes when people come together with intention. To Naomi, the beauty of community building is that once the ground is prepared, it becomes something that belongs to everyone and grows in directions no one can anticipate. This garden is pollinated by new ideas, voices, and experiences. And as a seasoned strategist and designer, she knows that intentional design only goes so far as nature takes its course and the ecosystem thrives under its own power. Hi, friend. Hello, how are you doing? It's so good to see you. How's life? Building a new thing. I can't wait to show it to you. We Well, our website will be live very soon, probably like, goodness, maybe even next week. Oh, that's awesome. It takes so much time to do that, especially if you're like also working on projects as well. Oh my goodness, it's torture. I know you, I mean, you're... <laughs> You're doing so many things. I can't believe like everything your hands are in. I'm like, how are you alive? I can't either. I am like overwhelmed. Just overwhelmed. Well, yeah. it was like a no-brainer in my mind to have you uh, on the show because, yeah. I mean, we're all here just talking about community and how we build community and all the wonderful things that community is in the world. And I'm like, well, Naomi is literally like community builder number one in my mind. And... <laughs> I feel like you've been on this train way longer than I know most people even have, or at least in my circle. And I've learned a lot from you with the language that you use and the ideas that you're sharing and creating. And yeah. so just wanted to talk to you about it all. That's amazing. You know, so um, interesting. Community is such a meta topic. Um, it seems, <laughs> yeah, we actually found that... Um, 
when we were doing the wheel of belonging conversations, you came to some of those. Mm -hmm. There were people that turned up for every single one of those because we ran it like an office hour. And it became um, like the topic of belonging was sparking belonging for people. And I feel like it's the same thing with community. The topic of community <laughs> creates a community. And it's, yeah, it just, it keeps going. I think that's been one of those kind of revelations over the last year, especially. Um, like I've known community. Yes, that's an important word. Yeah, of course, of course it is. Um, that's a big part of what we do. But the centrality of it just hadn't really, um, and it's connectedness to what we do in Storycraft Lab and now thinking about empathy, it hadn't really kind of called right into focus yet until I would say like the last 12 months or so. And then all of What do you think that was that led to that? Uh, I think it was being part of a community. (laughs) How weird is that? Um, you know, I think I think it was through so Megan Henshaw at Google um, founded XI and kind of brought me into that space, and uh, clearly that environment sparked a lot of belonging for me personally. And um, but it, for the first time, you know, I had been seeking community. That's how we met, right? I'd done those futures forums, yeah. and you know, at a very organic and personal level, I was out there in this virtual world in the midst of the pandemic trying to find people like me um, or people that cared about what I care about, you know. And uh, I mean, I think we can feel alone in the world normally anyway, but, you know, the pandemic kind of made that all the more urgent. And what was interesting was that, like, my pursuit of that at a personal level actually ended up creating this space where other people could find community too, which is a beautiful thing. Um, but a lot of this is hindsight, you know. Um, there's a good part of me that's strategic and intentional, and then there's another part of me that embraces the journey and embraces the kind of organic results of the kind of experimentation. (laughs) I think what you and I both have in common is the strategic mindset, right? Like we're both strategists at our heart and mind and a lot of ways. And so we're, we're constantly noodling and tinkering and designing and building. But what I've heard from others, what I feel like I've learned from this process of thinking about building community is that sure you can do some of the work in terms of designing a framework, you can do some of the work in terms of being really strategic and intentional in that, but then you have to kind of step, uh, well, not even step aside, you have to be involved and just allow it to grow and flourish and evolve how it will on its own. You kind of have to have some faith. Oh my goodness, you have to be such a gardener, you know? <laughs> it's kind of, you make sure that all of the pieces are in place and you can uh, make prepare the ground in such a way and you choose a site and a location and you select the seeds and which, you know, which uh, different varieties you put together with such intention. And then you have no control really beyond that intention. But I do believe if your intention is pure and if you talk to people about that and kind of bring them into the process of building out that garden, right? Uh, there is... Um, it's in a sense, it's not yours anymore, but that in a beautiful way, it, it also belongs to somebody else. And it becomes that place where people will gather. And if you need to check out for a minute or you have kind of just craziness going on with your work, you can you can leave for a second, but you can come back in the knowledge 
that things are active and moving forward and, and happening there. But it's about kind of just making sure at that point that there is some um, kind of resourcing. I love that analogy of a gardener because it goes to what you were just saying there, that it's sort of like, well, I, I you as this person's doing so many amazing things all at once. You can't always put all of your attention and focus to this. So you, you can be intentional in the way you design it. You can put all of the sort of proper plans in place at the beginning, like you said, but then just like a gardener has to be appreciative of the birds and the bees and the sun and the water and the plants themselves. Yes, yes. It's like every every other part of this ecosystem has to play an essential role in building a successful community, a thriving community and building a healthy garden. And there is that connection to kind of the organic nature of what happens. Because I think kind of the that energy that is going to be self-sustaining, yes. that's magical to me, you know? Um, but that is something that comes from the universe, from whatever powers uh, have uh, 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 kind, of, uh, kind of putting things in play. But yeah, the, there is that moment. And I, I imagine as a mother, I'm also going to experience this at a different level, you know, in a few years as my kids get bigger, where you do step back and you're like, okay, off. Off you go. Can you imagine? I'm going to get very emotional. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's terrifying, sure, but it's so exciting. I I would think, right? I'm I'm not yeah, a parent. It's <laughs> a pride. Something, and I think we can relate it to communities, right? If we're creating these spaces with pure intention, we're bringing people in. Um, there is a pride in seeing that kind of growth and evolution. It's something that as a teacher you know, kind of keeps bringing me back to the classroom as the pride in seeing that growth. It's not something, you know, when my student can stand up and just like nail a presentation, that's not something I own, right? But I still feel so proud, you know, about yeah. that because it's come from a space, that growth, that individual success has come from a, a space that I had a hand in building. Um, and, I, you know, I think the classroom as a community is a really interesting one to kind of lean into, especially from an experience standpoint. You know, if we start thinking about education actually as a place of community and growth, vulnerability and, you know, all of those things that need to happen for us to really take on knowledge, but apply it. Yes. In the fashion we need, you know, I think there's so much to get excited about there. Oh, Takes me back. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And I and and you mentioned an important word that a word that I wanted to go back to uh, because you are obviously an accomplished, experienced designer. You've been that was sort of a lot of your life has been spent in the sort of experienced design world. You're still certainly there today with Storycraft Lab, but I like how you were just talking about experience in relation to the classroom and how you shape, build community in the classroom. How does experience, how do experiences shape who we are? Just how do we think about that? How do you think about that? I think it's through uh, the actions of self-awareness and kind of sentient reflection, right? Who am I? How do I get to test out the way that I manifest in the world, right? How do I get to understand and explore where my strengths sit, but also those areas where I need to stretch and grow um, and inhabit that with 
you know, the, the humility necessary to be successful. You know, I think experiences uniquely provide us with a theatre of sorts to explore those different aspects of ourselves. Um, you know, we, we turn up to spaces and places and other humans with a mindset. You know, how, how do I want to show up today? Yeah. The, the better we know people, the more familiar the space is, the more authentic and kind of flow state that choice becomes. But um, when we step into experiences, it's with a set of goals or intentions. Okay, I want to come here and meet people. I want to learn new things. I want to play with new tools. We have we have a set of criteria in mind that kind of makes it worthwhile for us to spend our and invest ourselves in an experience. Um, and then how we go through that experience, we learn about ourselves. And I think that it's that self-awareness. Okay, so I either I tried something new, I did something new, I, I felt something new, I connected in a new way. It's that newness that comes from experimentation. And I think events and experiences give us spaces play with that. Yeah. I love that. You immediately went to as me the experience E, right? <laughs> the person that's yeah. going through this experience. It's like, uh -huh. what's the benefit I get out of this? What am I using that experience for? Whether uh, always uh, intentionally in the front of my mind or just, you know, what I'm uh, that unconscious benefit of it as well. So then when you think about it from the designer standpoint, how do you think about building an experience then with a very specific desire or outcome in mind? Or is that even 100% possible? Because that, I, I would imagine some of what we were talking about of community applies here too. It's like you can build the framework, you can put all of the pieces together, so to speak, that you think need to go into the right recipe, but then you kind of have to allow what's going to come from that to just sort of blossom on its own. That's a scary place for Taipei experience creators, right? Really quite scary <laughs> to let go um, of those prescribed outcomes. But so, you know, there's some really interesting data that's coming out. So for example, if you can get to a state of belonging, Individuals that experience a state of belonging are 167% more likely to recommend, mm. right? So this um, has great meaning for the marketing world. Right um, so if, you, if we can switch our lens from a very specific outcome that by the time this person walks out the door, they will recommend, refer, or decide to purchase um, to the outcome intent of our experience is to engender a sense of belonging. And if that's the outcome, then that, that's, um, uh, I think, a lot more attainable. And I think it's going to provide a better level of experience and ultimately will deliver that macro kind of like result, right? Um, so I, I, that's what I get excited about. You know, there's, there's a, like the RO, the return on emotion study, which says if you can hit on a certain number of emotions, you will impact your sales pipeline, right? So there is, it's actually, I think, um, when we look at kind of informing, influencing behavior, which is really kind of what that specific outcome is usually tied to. Uh, for me, it's a case of 
actually, let's take a step back and look at emotions. Let's look at belonging. Let's let's get into the feels <laughs> and, and sit with that as, as the intention and focus for the designer. Your point about going back to belonging, it's all of those other things that we talked about, right? Like, again, to go back to the classroom that you had mentioned, that student that stands up and gives this amazing report or project or what have you that you have the sense of pride and you realize your contribution to that in a way to sort of have an impact on that end result there, but still also recognize where that pride comes from is in their effort, their pursuit to achieve, to create something so amazing. And what happened throughout that process, I would imagine, is you both felt a strong sense of belonging in that classroom, in that environment. You both felt that that was a space where you were safe, where you had purpose, where you could connect with one another on a level that you could share information and collaborate and do this work that ultimately was truly a collaborative process that could result in that end result. And so I, I love what you're saying about belonging because it does sound like that key ingredient to driving so many other business outcomes, societal outcomes, so many other benefits. Once you tap into that first, once you hone on into that first, invest so deeply in building belonging, you open the door to so many other possibilities. I hope, and I do, I'm hearing so much conversation about belonging that I think this is starting to resonate now. It's something that people can sit with, say, okay, if we know that this is good for business ultimately, that actually is freeing. allows us to come back to just the experience and the people and those emotions. And you're right, the classroom kind of opens up this whole set of conversations. You know, kind of sitting with a thesis student, there's a lot of emotions tied up in what that um, idea is and how to manifest it in such a way that they feel ownership, but also very kind of connected to both the the idea of the kind of creative idea, but also the strategy. What I have found in the strategy connection is that's where confidence comes from for a designer, mm. <laughs> knowing that you know the the why behind what I'm doing is what enables somebody to really take flight and say, I'm, I'm just going to pursue this. I'm just going to throw my passion behind this. And I can tell you why. You know, knowing that why is key, I think, to helping people go. But yeah, that comes through emotional conversation. What is it that's important to you about this? Why do you care about this particular piece so much? You know, let's sit with those big questions. Let's examine them. Um, and, uh, you know, just being kind of vulnerable and allowing people to kind of push back and forth. Um, But belonging comes from those emotional conversations, I would say, that dialogue uh, is key. It doesn't happen without. You know, you mentioned this earlier, the work you've been doing with the Wheel of Belonging and the work you've been doing with Google. And I'm curious if belonging comes from those conversations, if that's really the place where that starts, what are these sort of key ingredients that you're recognizing or pulling to the surface that you've identified that allow us to think about like cultivating a sense of belonging? I wish I had a simple answer. Like these are the three things that you must do and therefore belonging boom. What we found is, however, we have to think about journey, uh, belonging as a journey, number one. It's not a binary state. You don't flip a switch and then here you are. Um, oftentimes people take time to get to that one experience that they might remember 
you know, we, when we started off the conversations around belonging, we heard people kind of come to this idea or come to a place of belonging through one of three general directions. Either they would talk about it through meaning and content. Like, this is a topic I'm invested in. I will. I know I'm going to find my people here. I'm going to open up my mind. I, you know, I'm going to get exposure to new ways of doing thinking um, that's going to help me advance in my in my life, whether that's personally or professionally. So for some people, it, it was very kind of meaning-based, right? Yeah, and um, that goes along with the why that you mentioned yeah. earlier, right? That that is that informed a lot of people's why in this case. Right. It sounds like why am I coming here? What do I need? Um, what do I hope to get out of it? How do I find people like me that care about the topics and the interests and that I can gain new perspectives from? So there was there was meaning as one direction. Another one was emotions, feeling, right? Mm. When we ask people what is belonging, it's often described in terms of a feeling, a sense that I can, I am loved, I am valued, I feel free to be myself authentically, I can unmask, I can exist and succeed, I can feel enabled and empowered to hope and dream. So there was definitely kind of like this emotional approach. So how do we as experience creators create spaces for those emotions to be accessed and expressed? And, you know, there's a whole set of conversations on kind of the feeling and the kind of freedom to be and be successful as I am, that actually begins with some people in a place of fear or skepticism, right? Um, maybe an experience is not a voluntary thing for them. Maybe it's something that we have to do. Maybe we walk into the room and at a visual level, we a lot of us that are seeing humans re rely on our sight, our vision to kind of read the room and understand whether we belong there, whether we believe we belong there at a glance, whether we feel safe as a result of that um, that visual assessment and analysis. Yeah. Um, and so for a lot of people, in order to get them to a place where they do feel free to be as they are and confident that they can be successful um, and speak their truth, we actually have to, as experienced creators, help them on that journey. What can we show them that allows them to connect with other people like them, to know that they're safe? Um, to you know, get them confident uh, that they're they have a place here, and then give them spaces to start expressing their points of view and access emotions. Right. So this is like one of those emotional journeys that um, you know it, it it takes some work from us as creators to facilitate that. But it's really important to think about. The third way that people would think about belonging was kind of magic. We called it magic, uh, transformation, essentially, right? Uh, whether it's serendipitous or intentional, um, the scale of which it can, you know, sometimes people come to a sense of belonging because there are 300 people in a room Kumbaya, this is my, you know, I, we are all here together, my goodness. And maybe there's pyrotechnics, who knows? Um, but for other people, and I remember this was your belonging journey, Justin. It's kind of this solitary exploration. Then involves accesses of the people kind of towards the end where you can begin to express 
your thoughts and reflections and connect with other people very kind of intentionally in that space, which, yeah, so your journey appears on the wheel of belonging in the magic ah. section. Yes, but you're on a you're on a more solitary route to universality, which was that kind of connectedness to the greater good, um, which kind of sits and the and the greater whole, I would say, which I you know is mostly good. Uh, <laughs> kind of, one would hope. Uh, yeah, yeah, one would hope. Goodness, but who knows what we'll find? And therein lies the adventure. But uh, <laughs> uh, that was where, you, and I I really appreciated your point of view because it was it was nice to hear that there's a place here as well for that more introspective route. But um, interesting also to see that yeah, there's a role for other people in here, but at a point. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> totally. Being intentional, being focused where yeah. we bring them yeah, in. Yeah. <laughs> We've touched on this throughout this conversation. Again, the classroom sort of experience, the business case that you've articulated, the data that supports that as well. But at a at just sort of a maybe even just like a personal perspective for you, why is belonging so important? Why does it matter so much in the world today? As a part of the kind of central human condition, we all want to feel that we have a space in this world, that there is a reason, a meaning, a value, an impact, something that we leave behind <laughs> when uh, we leave a room or a sense that there. um that our presence may even be noticed if we weren't there, right? That, you know, our, our, you know, the absence of our presence would be noted, that we do touch other people in, in that way. And I, I think that's what's at the core of belonging. Um, I, I think we're seeing more and more of this word now as um, at this particular moment as a build on DE&I. So um, the wonderful growth in roles in the DEI space uh, professionally that we're seeing, folks that have been staffed there are kind of brilliant. A lot of them actually come from like an experienced background, or they kind of understand how that connects. Um, and uh, they've been busy. You know, those roles have just grown by infinite percentages around the world. Actually, it's a global phenomenon. Uh, and they've been busy and they're carving out the space for these conversations to occur. And um, one of the wonderful things about attaching belonging to that discussion is that it ensures that we don't treat inclusion as a checklist, mm. that we don't think about um, equity in terms of codes or lists or you know, rules to follow. Essentially, what belonging does when we attach it to the discussion on diversity, equity, and inclusion is consider that it's a it's a feeling, right? That inclusion is something that is experienced by other people, that we can understand the effectiveness and impact of by talking about their emotions, right? We think that we're being inclusive here by following these following criteria. Is it really creating equity? Is it really impacting? You, the attendee, do you feel it? You know, do you do you feel that work being done? Um, and the answer to that is going to come through that discussion around belonging. So it's, I think, it's one that's actually going to stay with us for some time now, um, and really kind of shape the way that we think about 
designing experiences intentionally. Um, and the wonderful thing about it is that it does open up a bit of space for thinking about complex pro problems, which our industry sometimes, uh, sometimes has difficulty doing that. But the kind of the more we can point to business value of belonging, yes, and then the altruistic component of belonging together, that it, it really becomes imperative that we think about the, that space. I get so excited to hear your perspective that you you see it sticking around for a while because I think it needs mm -hmm. to. It absolutely needs to. I'm on this train. I want others to get on this train. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. Amazing. You know, I was just on a uh, recording a podcast actually, <laughs> a few hours with uh, the XI team and they were saying exactly the same thing. You know, how... How do we keep this community of people that are, you know, this is not a trend, it's a truth. It is a guiding principle, it's a North Star that actually we need to kind of place at the, the center of our designs. And maybe we move, maybe we recoin a phrase, Justin, we call it uh, belonging-centered design. Ooh, I like yeah. that. Yes, it's All not right, You just... heard it here, you heard it here first. Yeah. Belonging-centered design, let's do it. Do it, yeah, <laughs> I would love that. You mentioned it's increasingly more of a focus, not just from a business standpoint, but from a societal standpoint. There's so many more leaders that are just evolving and growing and expanding their work in this space. And I'm so excited and so reassured by that work. And as it continues to sort of deepen, we're also sort of adding more critical sort of considerations to I, I don't I don't even want to call them like categories, but just ways in which we're thinking about diversity, who all needs to sort of be thought of when we're thinking about inclusion. And I know some of the work that you're doing, some of the work you've been doing with the Google team as well, the XI team is around neurodiversity. And I think mm. this is pretty new for maybe some people. Maybe some people don't really have a strong understanding of neurodiversity and why it is so important for us. But I think folks probably in the experience design world, in particular experience creation world, do need to think a lot more about neurodiversity. So what what would be the case you would make for that? Why why is oh, that goodness. an important consideration? Yay, let me just champion that for a second. So just to be like totally clear, it's been an honor to sit alongside the XI team as they've um, taken uh, neurodiversity on as a topic. And what they've done is this is where XI starts to act as this amazing incubator space. And one of the outputs and products has been something called the New Project, um, which again has been led by Megan Henshaw at XI um, with uh, the amazing um, neurodiverse community that has formed around XI to, uh, to help develop. So the new project, uh, go check it out, has this amazing resource on there. It's the A to Z of experience design um, with, with for neuroinclusion, essentially. Uh, just brilliant. And I actually, when I was teaching at NYU last semester, um, I used it as the muse for all of my students to kind of do their, um, their designing and uh, thinking around. Um, it's so important to think about neurodiversity. I think it's something that we, so an estimated 20% of individuals diagnosed and undiagnosed uh, have some form of neurodiversity, right? So think about that in terms of pure numbers of people. You know, so if we look at um, experiences as we design them as being just 
overwhelming, scary, intense, unmanageable, um, the travel involved in accessing those experiences, right? And the intensity and the emotions and the, the toll, the cost of, of that for somebody who does not um, enjoy that environment. We are losing 20% of our audiences. Those are people that will check out, right? Um, and uh, you know, so I think at, at a very baseline level, if we are creating experiences that are welcoming and have different accommodations and find places for multimodalities um, to exist and, and be supported, uh, then we can talk to more people. We can bring more people into our community. There, more people are going to feel welcomed and included there. Uh, so that's a good thing. Absolutely. Uh, the other component is the curb cut that comes with this. So, you know, Megan, <laughs> I often ask people, like, now, truth, have you ever been at a conference and, like, had to go into the bathroom just to find a minute to, like, do whatever, you check your phone? Maybe it's more girls than boys. I'm not sure. But Oh, no, um, I need to walk away. Yeah, as, yeah. As we've talked about. Find, like, these places where you have to be like, I just need a moment, you yeah. know? Let's just turn it off. It's too much. Um it, it exists for everybody, you know, and I think we as, as designers of experiences tend to over-program. And again, this is kind of the, um, the, the urge, I guess, to have an outcome tied to every kind of 15-minute window. <laughs> we place people in very intense keynote experiences that they can't escape. We schedule these things back-to-back -back with like five minutes to run in between. You know, it's... Um, we create these very intense experiences with not a lot of interstitial space. And so if we start to apply some of the rules that would specifically benefit um, neurodiverse individuals that are telling us they need to see, we are actually going to create spaces for more engagement, more productivity, more um, awareness, more kind of being in the moment for folks that may not identify as being neurodiverse simply because it creates a better environment for everybody, you know? Um, so I would say that's <laughs> more people and better times, you know, and, and better outcomes as well, you know? Well, and I like that, 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 as you said, it's not just about, you know, I hate to put this, it's not even a skeptical, it's sort of the jaded sort of business hat on for a minute that we're also used to, especially working with, we, we don't have these budgets that have no limits. Like we, there's realism in all of this stuff. And what you've talked about here is not necessarily saying, well, you have to spend more money in order to support neurodiversity. Instead, it's just thinking about how you're designing the experience, the program differently. Maybe it is it, one of those simple things you can do is just think about time differently. And I love how mm. you're talking about that because time, it, it, it doesn't cost anything when we're thinking about how to just space things out differently, create more room for that experience so that it is more inclusive for more people. But also the other piece to this that I love that you kind of got to is that by doing this, by putting neurodiversity front and center, by putting more consideration around inclusivity front and center in the work that we're doing, the outcome is ultimately that much better for everyone, not just a specific group of people that we're targeting when we think about how we're how we're reapproaching or reexamining part of that experience. But no, it truly has a positive impact 
for everyone involved. And that's a compelling thing to say. Really is, you know, and I think that that's um, a huge part of creating space for those efforts, right? And, you know, we have to put that business hat on. Mm-hmm. Have to. We, can't, we cannot avoid it. Um, a lot of the time when we're talking about the value of events and experience, we're having to represent it in those terms. Um, uh, so, we, you know, I think to not acknowledge that that is a lens through which we have to assess these things. Um, yeah, we, yeah we, we, we have to. But at the same time, gosh, doesn't it feel nice to know that we can both benefit humans <laughs> mm. the bottom line at the same time and actually that kind of feeds into this wonderful cycle right you know the the better the events um, are designed to be inclusive the more um, productive those events will be both for you know um, business goals and for attendees uh, and therefore, the more funding and more central those events will come in the future. So they get funded again and off we go, you know, and we can continue to iterate um, and and develop and be innovative within that in framework. Um, you know, I think one of the things that I worry about in talking to folks that are out there and advocating for belonging, advocating for DEI. Um, is that there can be a little fatigue sometimes, you know, in approaching that business hat only <laughs> a lot of the time. Uh, you know, there's, uh, I, I was on a a wonderful panel, maybe, gosh, I'm losing track of time. I think it was about three weeks ago at Events Industry Council in New York. Um, and there was Danny Guero and Jason Dunn and um, Lakshmi Persad and Melissa Cherry. And I was there kind of representing a little bit of their XI work and specifically on neurodiversity. But there were people talking about all different types of inclusion. And what I heard from that brilliant group of folks is that they're so passionate about what they're doing, but they're not consistently kind of understanding their the value of their time and, you know, how, how do we value these advocates for belonging? If we ask individuals to come into our conferences and our events and to share their lived experience and uh, to help us learn more, how do we value that time as organizers? So I think that's a kind of big clarion call to the industry right now is, you know, we have to do a better job here of acknowledging the value of that time for the for those people that are helping to advance that work. Um, uh, you know, and I also think, you know, this kind of brings us back to community as well. <laughs> I was you gonna know, say we, the same we, thing. We got there, yeah. we went full circle in the best way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so how do we as a community create spaces where everybody can come and share? Like this is what I, this is where I'm feeling really empowered. This is where gosh, I need, a, I need a friend to talk me through this. <laughs> you know, how do I deal with this? And maybe within that community, we can help to figure out, help one another to figure out how to be more consistent in how we present our value, which I think might be a good move as well. But yeah, I think that's an, an, another space. I'd love to do more on this coming while, right? Is how do we support one another? And, um, you know, Megan likes to talk about being kind of, radically inclusive how do how do we support those champions that invest the energy in that work um uh, <laughs> uh, Naomi, we can go on and on and on and on and on for hours i love this i am so 
grateful for your optimism. I am so grateful for your grounded sort of reasoning as well. It's like you don't just have the the sort of great vision and thinking. You have the data to support it. You have the insights that are supporting the work. You have the support of obviously amazing partners in this community that you've managed to build over the vast, vast several years. That's just phenomenal. And I also just love the questions that you're asking because those personally always get me so excited. I love these big questions because there's always more we can do. There's always different ways of looking at it. There's always uh, more opportunity to add value to the work that is already in progress to keep the momentum going. So thank you for all of that. Thank you for inspiring me. Thank you for oh, being- thank you, Justin. Oh, my- <laughs> it's all about kind of the, like I said at the top, you know, being very thankful for brilliant humans that I meet along the way. Um, yourself, obviously included, and one of the first people that turned up to the Futures Forum when there was just a few of us <laughs> talking about things that we were um, interested in. You know, what a delight to find uh, a like mind and another inspiring uh, human out there in the world. So, yes. Yeah. A little less right. lonely. So I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again, Naomi, for your time. Yeah. I'm so glad we chatted. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Naomi's philosophy of connection shows us that our connections and our role in communities grant us a unique opportunity to explore aspects of ourselves. As we turn up for other people in new spaces and places, asking ourselves how we want to show up that day and what parts of ourselves we can bring. When we step into our experiences with intention, we have a chance to invest in ourselves that enables us to learn more about what has meaning for us, feeling and doing new things that come from the experimentation of showing up authentically. Our experiences, among others, gives us so many unconscious benefits that we barely realize, which is reason enough to push ourselves out into the world to see, hear, taste, feel, and sense everything going on around us. This is how we get to a state of belonging. If we can switch our lens to the outcome we hope to engender, a sense of belonging, then we are achieving the goal of delivering the macro result, real connection, real belonging, and real emotion being returned our way. Naomi mentioned some great resources during our conversation that I wanted to call out again here at the end. The new project, created by Google's Experience Institute group, offers a phenomenal resource guide perfect for anyone trying to develop more neuroinclusive experiences. You can find it at thenewproject.com. That's the N-E-U project.com. You can also learn more about the Wheel of Belonging by downloading the paper Building Belonging on Naomi's website, storycraftlab.com. We'll include links to both of these resources in the episode show notes. This episode was produced by the Untitled Future team. For more information about Untitled Future, please visit us at untitledfuture.com or follow us on LinkedIn. And for more episodes, please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts. Once again, I'm your host, Justin Boone. Thanks for listening. And remember, life's better when you belong.